All right, well, we're there in Isaiah uh, chapter 41, and uh, we'll try to go through the chapter as quickly as we can tonight, and there's uh, 29 verses. I think we can cover all 29 verses, maybe not. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but in Isaiah 41, we're kind of continuing this idea uh, that we looked at in Isaiah chapter number 40. If you remember last week in Isaiah 40, we were talking about the greatness of God and how big God is and how powerful He is. And in Isaiah 41, we kind of continue that. I-, I was thinking to myself earlier, can you believe we We've already preached 41 sermons out of the book of Isaiah. That's a lot of uh, sermons, you know, and we're not done yet. I think uh, Brother Peter was telling me the last time you were here, we were in Isaiah chapter 3. And then uh, we're not even out of Isaiah yet. He's already back. So that's good. Um, But if you if you look at verse one there, the Bible says this. Keep silence before me, O islands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near. Then let them speak. Let us come near together to judgment. Who raised up the righteous man? From the east. Now, the righteous man that's being referred to here is probably a reference to Abraham, especially since in uh, verse 8 of this chapter, and we'll look at it in a little bit, there's a reference to Abraham by name. And he says, Who raised up the righteous man from the east, called him to his foot, gave the nations before him, and made him rule over kings? He gave them as the dust to his sword, and as driven stubble to his bow, he pursued them and passed safely, even by the way that he had not gone with his feet. Who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? And I want you to notice that phrase, from the beginning. He says, I the Lord, the first and with the last, I am He. So in this passage, we begin talking about this idea of the true God. And we're not going to go through the passage in order. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit, especially try to save a little bit of time. But we get this idea of the true God. And we're going to later on get an idea of the false gods that the Israelites were worshiping, that the the, the nation of Judah was worshiping, and that the men of this time were worshiping. And he begins by saying, if you look at the last part of of verse number 4, He's, well, let's look at verse 4. Who hath wrought and done it, calling generations from the beginning? And he says, I, the Lord, the first and the last, I am he. So we get this idea of who God is. And he, he kind of defines it by saying, God is the one who sets things in motion or who did set things in motion from the beginning. He's the one that is the one that has directed the affairs of mankind from the beginning. And he is the one that will direct the affairs of mankind at the end. Look, look at verse 20 of the same chapter there, Isaiah 41, verse 20. It says that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord hath done this and the Holy One of Israel hath created it. So he's saying God is the one that created everything and God is the one that has done these things. You say, well, what is it that God has done? God is the one who raised up Abraham and God is the one who allowed him, if you look at verse 2, made him rule over kings and gave the nations before him. And you got to understand this. God is the one who directs the affairs of mankind. Keep your finger there in Isaiah 40. Go with me just real quickly to Daniel chapter number 4. Daniel chapter number 4. If you just go a few pages over in your Bible, Daniel chapter 4. If you, you want to go past the book of Isaiah, past the book of Jeremiah, past the book of Lamentations and Ezekiel, and you'll get into the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 4. You might be familiar with the story. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? His heart was lifted up, and Nebuchadnezzar, uh, God had to humble him, and God had to bring him down. And when God did that, Nebuchadnezzar made a couple statements. One was made by Nebuchadnezzar, and one was made about Nebuchadnezzar, about the ordeal that he went through. In Daniel chapter 4 and verse 32, the Bible says this, Daniel uh, chapter 4 and verse 32, 
The Bible says, And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts. This is what happened to Nebuchadnezzar of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee. This is, this is what is being told to Nebuchadnezzar, the fact that he actually for seven years went out and he lived out in the field like an animal. And he ate grass and he lost his mind and he literally went crazy. And the Bible says that it happened, notice the last part of verse 32, until thou knowest that the most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. See, Nebuchadnezzar was the leader of the world at that time. He was the man in charge of Babylon who basically ruled the entire world and his heart was lifted as a result. And he began to think that it was his talent and his ability and and the fact that he was so smart that he was able to become the leader of the whole world and God had to bring him down that he would know that it is God. It is The Bible says it is the most high that ruleth in the kingdom of men and it is God that allows men men to rise and men to fall and nations to rise and nations to fall this idea is repeated again in Daniel chapter 5 look at verse 21 Daniel chapter number 5 in verse 21 Daniel 5.21 says, And he was driven from the sons of men. This is referring back to what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointed over it whomsoever he will. If you can get back to Isaiah 41, I just want you to understand that God is the one that directs the affairs of mankind. Today there are those uh, who, who say, well, you know, I believe that God exists and God created us, but once God created us, he kind of took his hands off of things and now we're kind of on our own. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that he is the God from the beginning. He is the one that raises, you know, the, the nations and the kingdoms. He's in charge of it. He, nothing happens without his permission. Everything that happens on this earth is filtered through God. And that ought to be encouraging to us to realize that nothing happens to us and nothing happens to our family and nothing will happen to our nation without God being aware of it. He truly is the God from the beginning. But notice, He's not only the God from the beginning, He's also the God of the end. Notice verse 22 of Isaiah 41. Verse 22 of Isaiah 41. Notice what He says. He says, let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. Now, he's talking to idols here, and we're going to look at that in a minute. But he says, can they show us what shall happen? So he says, he says not only am I the one that raised up kings and raised up Abraham and did these things. He said, but can they show us what shall happen? Let them show the former things, what they, uh, what they be. He's talking about the, the things that used to be, and that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare us things for to come. He says, can they tell us things that are to come? Look at verse 23. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that ye are gods, yea, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and, and behold it together. Verse 24, behold, ye are of nothing and your work of naught. An abomination is he that chooseth you. Verse 25, I have raised up one from the north. So here's what he does. He says, I'm the God from the beginning. And he talks about a man that he raised from the east, uh, which is probably Abraham, because he says that he led him in the way safely in a way that he'd never gone before. And, and he did all these things for him, and he put him above kings and put him above, above these nations, which we know that God ended up blessing uh, Israel and blessing uh, Abraham's seeds in regards to that. But then he says, not only am I the God who did the past, he said, he said, I'm the God who controls the future. And then he gives us a prophecy here. In verse 25, we find a prophecy that is not fulfilled in the life of Isaiah. It's actually prophecy that is also said by Jeremiah the prophet and he says in verse 25 I've raised up one from the north 
And he shall come from the rising of the sun. Shall he, notice what he says, call upon my name. So he says, I'm going to raise a man from the north who's going to call upon my name. And he shall come upon princes as upon mortar and as the potter treadeth clay. Now you say, well, well what, what is that prophecy? Go to Ezra chapter number 1. Ezra chapter number 1. It's probably the man who was raised from the east is probably a reference to Abraham. And this man who was raised from the north that's going to call upon him is probably a reference to Cyrus, the future king of Persia. Because we know that we're dealing with Babylon in the book of Isaiah. And Babylon's going to come and take the people away. Go to Ezra chapter uh, number 1. But the Bible says that God was going to raise a man who was going to conquer Babylon, and that man was going to be a blessing to his people. That man was going to help his people, and that prophecy was fulfilled in this man, Cyrus, king of Persia. Ezra chapter 1, look at verse 1. Ezra chapter 1, and this is actually kind of good uh, to get us, get your mindset going for the book of Nehemiah, because this is all happening during the time of Nehemiah. As well, Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says this, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. So notice Jeremiah had given a prophecy in regards to this man Cyrus. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Notice. He's acknowledging that it is God that raises kings. And it is God that has given him these blessings. And he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And this is why we know that Ezra was able to go back and rebuild that temple. And there's all sorts of history that goes there. Go back to Isaiah 41. So in in Isaiah 41, Isaiah is talking about the true God. And he says, here's how you know that our God is the true God. He says, because he raised up those mighty men and those kings and those rulers in, in the past. And he references Abraham. And he says, Abraham was mightily blessed of God. And it is God that did that for Abraham. But then he says, just in case you think that I'm just kind of picking a figure from the past and attributing it to the power of, uh, of God. He says, it is also the God, not only of the beginning, but of the end. And he gives us a prophecy of a king that none of them would have known would have came. This King Cyrus, who would have called upon the name of the Lord and would have allowed the the Jews to go back into their land there. And of course, we know that they rebuilt the temple, they rebuilt the wall, and they did those things. Now, here's what's interesting, though. Are you back in Isaiah 41? Look at verse 4. Okay, so we're talking about this, the God of the beginning and the God of the end. The God uh, 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 who's the first and the God who's the last. In verse number 4 there, The Bible says of Isaiah 41, it says, Who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? Now notice what he says. I the Lord. Now that that Lord there, that's Jehovah God. That's the I am. That's the self-existing one. Notice what he says. I the Lord, the first and with the last. Now this phrase is quoted in the New Testament. Let's look at it quickly. Go to Revelation chapter number 1. It's quoted... Uh, three times in the book of Revelation, we'll look at all three of them quickly. Revelation chapter 1, the, the first couple times are both found in chapter 1. Revelation chapter number 1, and look at verse number 11. Now look, according to Isaiah 41 and verse 4, the Lord is the first and with the last. That's what Isaiah said. He said, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Jehovah, the I am, the, the self-existing one, the one that runs the earth and that everything is filtered through him. He is the first and with the last. Revelation chapter 1, look at verse 11. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 11, the Bible says this, saying, now this is Jesus speaking. 
And you can look at the context and you'll know it's Jesus. If you've got a red letter edition uh, Bible, you'll, most of this verse will be in red letters because it's Jesus. And notice what Jesus says, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 11. He says, I am Alpha and Omega. Notice what he says, the first and the last. So according to Isaiah... He who is the first and with the last is the Lord. And then Jesus shows up and he says, hey, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, and I am the first and the last. Now today there are those who want to attack the deity of Jesus Christ. And Jehovah's Witnesses today want to say that Jesus wasn't Jehovah, Jesus wasn't the Almighty, Jesus was just a creation, he was just an angel. The Mormons want to say that, yeah, Jesus was a God, but he's not really God, it's not that big of a deal, because he's just one of many gods, he's just a God, he's not the God. But let me tell you something, people want to say, Jesus never claimed to be God, Jesus never claimed. Here we have a passage where Jesus says, I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega, I'm the first, and I'm the last, and he's quoting Isaiah. And Isaiah said, the Lord is first and with the last. You say, well, why would Jesus say that? Because Jesus is the Lord. Because Jesus is Jehovah. Look at verse 17. And when I saw him, this is John speaking, I fell at his feet as dead, talking about Jesus. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not, I am the first and the last. Go to Revelation 22. Look at verse 13. He says it again. Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 13. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 13. Notice what he says. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. See, Jesus is God. He's not just a good man. He's not just a prophet. He wasn't just a teacher. And that's why today people have this mentality where they say, I want the parables but I don't want the miracles. You know, I, I want the Sermon on the Mount, but I don't know that he's really the Son of God. But listen to me. He is God, and he claimed to be God when he made statements like, I'm the first and the last. And everybody would have known that he was referencing back and quoting back the book of Isaiah when Isaiah said, I, the Lord, the first and with the last. But I want to show you, that's not the only reference to the deity of Jesus Christ in this verse. Can you go back to Isaiah 41? Look at verse 4. That's the obvious one, right? Most of you probably already knew that was coming. You said, well, Jesus said, I'm the first and the last. But let me show you one that's maybe not so obvious. Maybe it is, I don't know. Look at Isaiah 41 and verse 4. Notice what he says. Who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first and with the last. Now notice what he says. I am he. Now that's the Lord speaking. I, the Lord. The first and with the last. And then the Lord. I keep hitting this thing. Good night. I'm going to break it. He says, I the Lord. The first and with the last. And then he says, I am he. And I want you to notice this is a reference to God. That I am. That I am he is a reference to that I am that I am type of uh, 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 verbiage. Go to John chapter number 8. Let me show you something interesting. Because people say to me all the time, Jesus never claimed to be God. Okay, well, let's look at that. John chapter 8. Well, we already saw in Revelation, he said, I'm the first and the last. John chapter 8, look at verse number 24. John chapter number 8 and verse 24. And there's, there's many, there's more. I'm just going to show you a few in the book of John. I'm not going to show you all of them. But uh, look at John chapter 8 and verse number 24. you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 8 and verse 24, the Bible says this. I said, therefore unto you, this is Jesus speaking, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that, notice this, I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Did you see that? See, Isaiah said, hey, the Lord, he's the first, he's the last, and the Lord said, I am he. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and he said, if you don't believe that I am he, 
And all those Pharisees and all those scribes and all those lawyers would have known that he's making reference back to the book of Isaiah. He said, if you don't believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. So, you know, people say, well, Jesus never made a reference to, to being God. He just said, if you don't believe I am he, Remember the Lord said, I am he, is what he's saying to them. If you don't believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Look at verse 28, same chapter. John chapter 8, verse 28. Notice what it says. Then said Jesus unto them, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man. He's talking about the fact that he's going to be lifted up on a cross and be put to death. He says, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. He said, when, I, when I'm crucified, he said, then you'll know I am he. And then the Roman soldiers say at the crucifixion of Christ, truly this was the Son of God. I go to uh, John chapter 13, look at verse 9. He said it over and over again. In the book of John, it's, there's all sorts of references, but I just want to show you some of the highlights. John chapter 13 and verse 19. John chapter 13 and verse 19. So next time a Jehovah's Witness walks up to you and says, Jesus never claimed to be God, you ought to show him. And Isaiah 41, 4, the Bible says that the Lord is high and he. And Jesus over and over and over said, if you don't believe that I am he, when I'm put to death, when I'm crucified, you'll know that I am he. Notice John 13, 19. Notice what he says. John chapter 13 and verse 19, he says, Now I tell you before it come, that when it has come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. He said, you're going to believe that I am he, that I am of Isaiah. Go to John chapter 18. This is my favorite one. John chapter 18. Look at verse 6. My favorite one is John chapter 18, verse 6. I'll show you that and we'll get on something else. John chapter 18 and verse 6. John chapter 18 and verse 6. John 18, 6, the Bible says this, As soon then as he said unto them, now, now this is when they're coming to arrest Jesus, okay? They're coming to arrest him because they're, they're, they're putting him to death. They're asking, you know, which one of you is Jesus? They're looking for Jesus. And as soon then as he said unto them, notice what he says. He says, I am he. They went backward. Isn't that good? He declares his deity. He said, who are you looking for? Jesus. We're looking for Jesus. I am he. And the Bible says, they went backward and fell to the ground. And by the way, the only people in the Bible who ever went backward were trying to kill Jesus. Tell that to Benny Hinn. You know, all these Pentecostals want to, want to hit people on the forehead and drop them backwards. The only time you see someone falling backwards, they're coming after Christ. So here you see the deity of Jesus Christ. He is the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He stated that in Revelation that he was the first and the last, but also all throughout the book of John. He says, I am he. I am he. If you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sin. He said, when I am lifted up, you will know that I am he. And when they're asking for him, he says, I am he. And they fall backwards just so from the power of his word and just announcing his deity. Uh, go back to Isaiah 41. Look at, look at verse 10. Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Let me show you something else that's interesting out of this chapter. I'm going to try to skip some stuff and just kind of give you some highlights because uh, I know it's warm in here. Isaiah uh, 41. Look at verse 10. Another interesting thing about this chapter in Isaiah 41 is that it, it, it's the I will chapter. Fourteen times in the book of in Isaiah 41, you find God saying this, these words, I will. Now, I want you to notice what he says. And if you'd like to take notes in your Bible, I would underline these. Starting in verse 10, the Bible says this. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. Number one, notice what he says. I will strengthen thee. So God says, I will strengthen thee. And then he says, yea, here's number two. You ought to underline it. I will help thee, yea, here's number three, I will 
uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. So there in one verse, he says, I will help thee, I will uphold thee, I will strengthen thee. Look at verse, uh, verse 11. Actually, I'm sorry, verse 13. He says, for, and here's, here's the fourth reference. Now, you've got you to gotta pay a little more attention for this one. He says, I, the Lord thy God, will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument. So he said, I, the Lord thy God, but he still made the statement. He says, I will, he's basically saying, I will uh, make thee a new sharp threshing instrument. And he's talking about the fact that he's going to make them new. He's talking about the fact that he's going to make them a new. He said, you're, you're, there's going to be usefulness to, to you. You're going to be created new. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So there we find that fourth time in, in verse 13. I'm sorry, the, um, the, yeah, the fourth time in verse 13, he says, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not. Here's number five, same verse. I will help thee. Do you see that? He says, I will help thee. Look at verse 14. Fear not, thou worm Jacob, and ye men of Israel. Here's number six. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Look at verse 15. Here's number seven. Behold, I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument. I'm sorry, I must have read that one twice. Uh, Go down to verse number 17. Number 17. Look what he says in verse 17. He says, When the poor and the needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst. Here's number 8. I, the Lord, will hear them. He says, I, the Lord, will hear them. Here's verse 9. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. He says, I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Look at verse 18. He says, I will open rivers in high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. Here's number 11. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. Look at verse 19. Here's number 12. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar and the shitta tree and the murder, and the oil tree. Look at, Here's number 13. I will set in the desert the fir tree and the pine and the box tree together. Look at verse 27. The first shall say to Zion, verse 27 of, of, number, of chapter 41, the first shall say to Zion, behold, behold them. And here's number 14. I will give to Jerusalem one that bringeth good tidings. And what are the good tidings? We, we talked about that at the Soling Seminar. Good tidings is the gospel. And he says, I will give to Jerusalem one that bringeth good tidings. But here's what's interesting. In chapter 41, now I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something, okay? This is just for you to know, and maybe one of you guys can, you know, you got so much time on your hands, maybe you can study this out for me and write a sermon or something, all right? Some of you guys are into numerology, all right? I don't know what this means, I just think it's interesting. In chapter 41, you've got 14 times that God says, I will. And all of that had to do with helping his people. He says, I will help thee. He said, I will uphold thee. He said, I will strengthen thee. He said, I will hold thee. He said, I will plant. He said, I will make you. He said, I will open rivers. He said, I'm going to provide for you. He says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. 14 times in chapter 41. Now, in Isaiah chapter 14, can you go there? Isaiah chapter 14, you find the same thing. Except it's not God this time, it's Satan. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse number 12, this is a very well-known passage. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12 says this. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, 
son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which it weakens the nation? For thou hast said in thine heart, notice what Lucifer says, I will, but this has nothing to do with helping anyone, has nothing to do with being a blessing to anyone. It's all selfishness and self-centered. He says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Verse 14 is number 4. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. Number 5. I will be like the most high. And of course God says in verse 15, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. So I don't know what that means, but it's just kind of interesting. You got Isaiah 1:4, you've got Satan saying, I will, and then you've got Isaiah 4:1, you've got Jesus saying, or God saying, I will, and one's all about you, and the other one's all about Satan. Uh, so kind of interesting, you say, what do we do with that? I have no idea. Write a book, I guess, you know. And then in there, you can, you know, multiply that, and you'll get the number of September 11th. I don't know, but it's kind of just something interesting. Go back to Isaiah 41. Look at verse 8. I just, you know, I just think it's interesting how God does that. Satan has his I wills, they're all about him. And then God has his I wills, and they're all about us. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, the God of the beginning that rules in the affairs of mankind and the God of the end who will raise kings, who will, who will you know, uh, control the end times events. So it's Jesus who says in Revelation that I am the first and the last. So Jesus said, I am he, and you must believe on me. He says that God is interested in you. In fact, he's interested so much that 14 times he says, I want to help you. I want to bless you. I want to provide for you. I want to have a relationship with you. And in verse number 8 of Isaiah 41, like I said, we're just going to try to hit the highlights uh, so we can be done. Isaiah 41, look at verse 8. Notice what he says about Abraham. Because remember, we were talking about Abraham earlier. Isaiah 41, verse 8. Notice what he says. But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham. Notice this, my friend. You see that? God calls Abraham his friend. And there's two other times in Scripture when, when Abraham is called the friend of God. Let's look at them quickly. Go to 2 Chronicles, chapter number 20. 2 Chronicles, you can find all those First and Second books. You've got First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles. Uh, go to 2 Chronicles, chapter number 20, and look at verse number 7. These are just uh, giving you some uh, references to look at. 2 Chronicles, chapter number 20, and look at verse number 7. 2 Chronicles, chapter number 20. And look at verse 7. The Bible says, Are not thou, 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 7, Are not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham? Notice what he says, Thy friend forever. He said, Hey, remember Abraham, your friend God? And then Isaiah says, Hey, Abraham was the friend of God. And it also comes up in the New Testament. Go to James chapter number 2. James chapter number 2 and look at verse number 23. We, saw, we actually saw this passage when we were in James uh, on Wednesday night. But let's look at it. James chapter number 2 and look at verse number 23. James chapter number 2 and verse number 23. Notice what he says. James chapter 2 and verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God. And it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. 
Now, here's what I know, what we know about God. And we learned this in, the, in, in James, when we were in James chapter 2. We learned this and we, and we looked at many references, so I'm not going to take the time to do it now. If, if you don't believe me, just listen to the James chapter 2 sermon and it'll be clear. But the Bible teaches that God is no respecter of persons. Meaning God does not give favor to one person and then refuse that same favor to someone else. So here's what the Bible tells me. When James chapter 2 teaches me that I should not respect people because God is not a respecter of persons. And then he says that Abraham was called the friend of God. Here's what that teaches me is that I have an opportunity to be the friend of God. I mean, the God that sets in motions the events of earth, the God that controls the universe, the I am, the almighty, I have the opportunity to be his friend. And the question that I would have for you and I'd have for me is this. Could you really say that you are the friend of God? Or would God say of you that you are his friend? I mean, we have access to God. We have access to this God who doesn't have to love us, doesn't have to care about us, doesn't have to, you know, even want to have, desire to have a relationship with us. And that God says, I will hold you. I will uphold you. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will bless you. I will provide for you. And he says, I want to have a friendship with you. And not God, but we, we look at him and say, no, thanks. And that's what Isaiah is talking about. Go back to Isaiah 41. Isaiah chapter 41. I kind of just wanted to give you some highlights and just some interesting things in Isaiah 41, but let me just quickly tell you what the chapter is about and and we'll be done. Isaiah 41, look at verse 1. The the whole chapter is about, because remember in chapter 40 we talked about the greatness of God. And in chapter 40, it was all about God is so great, God is so big, God is powerful, God is amazing. And then in Isaiah 41, he says, okay, we've learned about the God, that great God. Remember that God? He said the God that raised Abraham, the God that's going to raise Cyrus one day, the God that controls the universe. He said, we've learned about that God. But then he says this, he says, let's put your lowercase g gods on trial. Let's, let's compare the great God... To your God. And notice what he says. Look at verse 1. He says, Keep silence before me, O islands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near. Let them speak. Notice, notice the last part of verse 1. Let us come near together to judgment. God says, Hey, walk with me into the courthouse and let's, have a, let's put your gods on trial. Now notice what he says. Look at verse 21. Let me show you this. Verse 21. Notice what he says. Produce your cause. Here's what he's saying. Present your case saith the Lord. He said, bring forth your strong reasons. He said, what's your best argument, saith the king of Jacob? He said, I want to hear it. He said, you guys want to worship idols. He says, you guys want to build these idols and bow yourself to them and bring them fruit and bring them flowers and act like they're the ones that created you. He said, well, let's step into the judgment and let's go ahead. And we talked about the greatness of the invisible God, the God that we cannot see. He said, but let's go ahead. I want to hear it. I want to hear your cause. I want you to bring forth your strong reason. I want to hear your best argument. I want to hear your case for why we should worship your idols. You say, well, how do you know we're talking about idols? Look at verse 22. He says, let them bring them forth. He said, bring your idol. 
and show us what shall happen. He said, you bring your idol and let's see what happens. Let them show the former things. He said, let's hear from your idol the things that, uh, that came, the former things, what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare us things for to come. He says, can your idol tell us what's going to happen in the future? He said, can your idol tell us what has happened in the past? Look at verse 23. Show the things that are to come hereafter. He's talking to their idols. He's saying, can your idol tell me what the next king, what the next power, what the next, you know, a nation is going to be that's going to come? He said, show the things that are uh, to come hereafter that we may know that ye are gods. He says, okay, let them prove their power. He says, can they tell us something about the past? Can they tell us something about the future? And then he gets frustrated because he's talking to idols (laughs) and they're not talking back. He says, you know what? It's fine. You don't have to tell me anything from the past. You don't have to definitely don't have to tell me anything from the future. He said, but notice what he says. He says, yay, do good or do evil. Here's what he's saying. Can you do something? Can you do anything? He said, do good, do evil, talk, do something. He says, that we may be dismayed and behold it together. He says, well, you're worshiping those gods. What's so powerful about them? Look at verse 24. He said, behold, ye are of nothing. Talking to the idols. And your work of naught, an abomination is he that chooseth you. And here's what he's saying. He's talking to those people in Judea. And he's saying, you have access to God who wants to bless you and, and, and guide you and protect you and provide for you. And your hearts are being drawn away by a piece of metal. That, And, and here's the sad thing. They chose that God. Look, look at verse, go, go back to verse 5. Isaiah 41, look at verse 5. He's, he's talking about the greatness of God and the power of God. And he says this. The isles saw it, talking about they saw the power of God, and feared, talking about the fact that they feared God. The ends of the earth were afraid, drew near and came. They helped everyone his neighbor, and everyone said to his brother, Be of good courage. So the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith. And he that smootheth with the hammer, him that smote the anvil, saying, it is ready for the soldering. What's ready for the soldering? The idol. And he fastened it with nails that it should not be moved. He said, he said our idol's ready. He said, make sure you fasten it down with some nails because we don't want it to fall over. Talking about their idol. And they've chosen this idol. And, and Isaiah's just scratching his head and saying, Really? Really? You're going to allow your hearts to be drawn away by a statute, by a piece of metal when you have access to the all-powerful God. Can you go to Colossians chapter 3? Let's look at one verse and we'll be done tonight. Say, Pastor Jimenez, this is nice and maybe I understand Isaiah 41 now, but we don't worship idols in America. There's no such thing as an American idol. So I don't think this verse really applies to us. In this passage. But there's a very interesting verse in Colossians chapter number 3. Because you'd be surprised how many idols there are in America. Colossians chapter number 3 and verse number 5 says this. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and notice this word. Covetousness. Notice what he says about covetousness. Which is idolatry. Say, we don't worship idols in America. You're right. We don't worship idols. We just worship houses and cars 
and vacations and money. See, you say, well, those guys were silly. Those people were silly. They had access to the God of heaven, the creator of the universe, and their hearts were drawn away by a piece of gold. But people's hearts are drawn away by gold today and money today and vehicles today and jobs today. And it is silly to think that I would skip church to go to a park somewhere or go fishing somewhere or go do something and ignore the God of heaven for something as dumb as covetousness. And the same way that Isaiah was kind of scratching his head at those Israelites and saying, you're not going to serve God for that? It applies to us. We want to skip out on church to go make a dollar. We want to skip out on soul winning because I've got things to do, because I've got places to be, because I've got things. You say, well, I don't worship an idol. Yeah, I'm just a little covetous. Well, guess what? It's the same thing. You're worshiping at the altar of something that is not the Almighty God. And here's the worst part. Here's the worst part. The God of the universe wants to have a relationship with you. And you choose a dumb idol. And we would look at that and say, well, that's crazy. Yet we do the exact same thing. You say, well, what can we get from this passage? Here's what we get from this passage. Become a friend of God. Take advantage. Talk about having friends in high places. The highest placed friend I need is the Lord Almighty God Amen. that wants to have a relationship with me. You say, why would he want to have a relationship with me? I have no idea, but he does. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Emily.